0: Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled, multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church.
1: Hallelujah. Good morning, everybody. Man, I, um, how about the, the weather's been nasty, right? Like. Does anybody here garden at all? And you're like, um, the plants are like, I would like just no more rain, please. Like, um, if we can get to a reasonable amount of rain, that would be fine. Uh, It was pouring last night. Uh, And I need to remind you all that you are representing six or seven people each. And so I need some, yeah, no, no, no. And, And this is entirely for two reasons, to trick the people online, number one, and for my ego, number two, that's why we're doing that. Hallelujah. Good morning. We are in the midst of our message series, uh, um, uh, Father Issues. Nobody in here has father issues. I'm so glad. Um, I'm I'm glad that my kids are never going to have father issues. You know, it's funny when you raise kids, you're like, they're not going to have father issues. You know, and then it's just just different issues. That's all. That's all. That's what you can plan to have there. And hopefully not as deep seated, but apparently I feel like sometimes you're sitting with your uh, family and you're like, why do I have a feeling I'll be talking about this in 10 years, laying on a couch, right? Like, how do I, how do I feel like we're going to be having this conversation again? Hallelujah. Hey, so um, Travis brought the word last week. I thought it was so good. Thank you so much, Travis Thomas. I don't know if they're going to be here this morning because people uh, around them, I think, were sick. I'm not exactly sure how that goes, uh, but... We uh, started our uh, series talking about uh, the Azusa Street Revival with Charles Parham and uh, William Seymour. Hello, people online. So wonderful to see you this morning. Say hello in the chat. Uh, and so we uh, spoke about them who were really neat people, uh, had, had, some, had some issues, right? Um, we talked about uh, yesterday, we, or excuse me, last week, we talked about uh, Martin Luther, who is pivotal uh, to our church history um, you cannot overstate how significant he is in the history of our church. Yeah. Had some issues. Um, and so uh, we're going to continue with that today. And uh, before I fully get into this, um, <clears throat> I, um, I knew when we were coming back uh, from the Rona, I knew pretty much that we were going to have uh, a season of a just being family here for a couple weeks. And I wanted to tackle a couple things that I wouldn't necessarily tackle in normal Sunday morning services. I felt like the times dictated it. I felt like the maturity level in the room uh, dictated it. And so I just want to kind of get into it. The, and so we got two more weeks, this week and next week in this message series. And then we're going to do uh, a message series just kind of going through the Gospels, what they are, what they, what they wrote about, what they're for. And we're going to kind of see uh, a pattern in that. And just we're going to learn about the, the Gospels. I think it's going to be a neat uh, series. But we're going to finish this up uh, next week. Um, we, we talked about how each of us has been given by our fathers a complicated legacy because it was given to us by complicated men, right? Complicated people produce complicated legacies. Uh, nobody is purely good or purely evil other than Jesus, right? And so Jesus is only good. Can I get an amen? That was, a, that was a prompt right there for you to just amen. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus is good. If you get nothing out of today's message other than that, Jesus is good, right? Everything he does is good. And, uh, and so, but the, even the disciples of Jesus, and he was their spiritual father, didn't understand everything he did, and still got complicated legacies, right? And so, we, we in our lives have to kind of sort out what we have inherited naturally, spiritually, emotionally, that wasn't necessarily grounded In goodness. We we, we need to hear about stuff so we can say, okay, wait a minute. This actually wasn't so great. This, wow, that, that, you know, I don't believe any of these church fathers meant to do the church harm, but that happens when our hearts aren't right. And when we're raised in a home, be it natural or spiritual home, and if somebody's heart is not perfectly right, we inherit some things. And we didn't even know that we learned it that way. And you don't find this out until you get married. Because you always knew one way to do things, and then you get married, and they're like, why would you ever do it that way? And you're like, well, that's the way it's supposed to be done. Because that's how you did it growing up. And you find out that they did it completely differently in their home, because their home didn't learn correctly, right? And so you have this conflict, right? And you have this conflict, and they're like, no, 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 this is the way it's always been done. And you're like, well, that's the way it's never been done, hello? And so we, that happens in the natural, so much more in the spirit. Right, where we are taught purposefully things that aren't necessarily great. And we have to be open enough to allow Holy Spirit to show us some things that we can keep the good stuff we learned from our spiritual fathers, and we can kind of dump the stuff that wasn't so great. Right, And so this is, this is what we're doing. It's not our heart to dishonor anyone, uh, but to really honor these men, I believe that they would want us to speak the truth. I don't want to be the man I was 20 years ago, and I don't think it's dishonoring to tell you about things that I wish I hadn't done, and it's not dishonoring for you to come to me and say, hey, remember when we did this? What was up with that? And i will be like, well, yeah, I don't really believe that anymore, right? That's not dishonoring. That's actually mature, and it's called growth, right? And we should be able to grow. Yeah, no. So the Lord spoke to me uh, last night, and I really had this strong sense as I was in here, just getting ready for today, I was praying and uh, just kind of finishing up my message. And he told me, uh, I just started seeing this pattern. Uh, I've, I've just seen a lot of miracles happen in people's lives, even very recently, even in the midst of really hard issues. Um, and it's, it's really, uh, I've seen people in the fire, as we sung about, coming out like gold. And, um, and uh, the, the, the thing that he told me uh, was that long-term issues are being healed in this season. Uh, And the encounters with Holy Spirit will be awakening first love and a hunger for the first love. And so, ha. And so we're going to pray for that at the end of service corporately. So I'm going to try to move quickly. Amen? What time is it? 9.33. All right. I'm going to try to move quickly for Carl. All right. Today, today uh, we are talking about Jonathan Edwards. You probably heard the name Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards uh, was born in 1703. And of, of the people we're going to talk about today, he's probably the best looking chap. That should let you know where it's going from here, right? Um, these, these folks, they didn't have uh, social media, so you didn't have to be so good looking back then as you do now. Um, and so Jonathan Edwards uh, was a pastor. Uh, he was a theologian. He um, inherited uh, the pastorate from his grandfather, preached in his grandfather's church. He was a, he was a revivalist at heart. Uh, And um, that's why we are so connected to him. Jonathan Edwards was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, The writings that he wrote on theology, based on his own revelation and learnings, are still cited today, still being used today, hundreds of years later. And generally in academia, you don't cite a work older than 20 years old. And uh, they're still using his books that he wrote in the 1740s, 1730s, uh, Interestingly, when he was uh, growing up is when science was really kind of taking off. Science was becoming a big deal and so many Christians were saying science was against faith and a lot of Christians were losing their faith because of science and a lot of Christians were denouncing Christianity and they were becoming deists, which means I believe there's some sort of God, but there's not a personal God like Jesus, you know, uh, Holy Spirit, Father God. Uh, And so they were becoming deists and um, Jonathan Edwards, he, uh, he looked at science, and um, he loved to study science. He said other people lost their faith, but he said, to, he said the natural world is evidence of God's masterful design. Right? Science is not opposite faith. Amen? If God created it, we can study it. And the only thing that can happen is we misunderstood how God created it. That's all that can happen. Right? It, there's, it's impossible to disprove God. You can disprove what you thought about God. But you can't disprove God, right? And so he began to preach uh, in, in Connecticut, which is where he came from. And he used to preach, and revivals were exploding in Connecticut. He, uh, uh, over 32 revivals um, broke out in different communities as he was preaching. And uh, he preached what Luther had discovered, which we talked about last week, uh, that salvation came by faith alone. And because of this radical idea that salvation came by faith alone, not by works, not by memorizing creeds, not by being baptized in the church, not by wearing the right clothes, not by being voted on by the church board, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. Believe it or not, this was a radical, radical teaching back then. You would join the church much like you would join any other club, uh, you had to be admitted to the church. So that means you had to memorize certain things and agree to certain things. And then you were in the church and that was it. That's all there was for you. And then you go every Sunday and you read the books and you, you sometimes said your prayers, but not, not for any purpose. And Jonathan Edwards was among this new generation of preachers that said, no, sa- there is salvation. You actually get converted and you get converted by faith in Jesus. And uh, this was radical, and as people heard this, they were being converted in mass. Hundreds of youth at a time were getting saved. It, it, was, it was radical. And, and again, he preached this Ephesians chapter 2. For grace, you have been saved through faith, and not, by your, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not as a works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You know, the only God, only the God of creation could be the God of resurrection. Only the spirit of creation could be the spirit of resurrection. And, and, and these men understood that as we study creation and we take care of God's creation, then we greater understand God and his creative power. They understood that we were part of his creation. They understood that what God's desire is for everything he created that we are to steward it, we are to protect it, we are, we, are to, we are to make sure it's returned to the state God created it in, which is holiness. And so these men would preach, and people would be converted. And in his meeting, Jonathan Edwards in the 17, at this point it was the early 1730s, people, the Holy Ghost would fall in his meetings. And uh, people would get what they called possessed by God. And they would get what they call struck. And when the Holy Ghost fell upon them, they would get struck to where they were frozen and could not move for hours until their heart got right with God. Other times they would get struck and fall to the ground. And they would wake up converted by God's grace. They would scream and shout once the anointing fell upon them. They would jump around. They would fall into trances. They they would scream out in agony once they recognized that they were separated from God and were not guaranteed a saint's heaven after dying. The realization of damnation would come upon them and they would scream out in terror until they were assured that their soul had been converted. What I admire so much about the men we're about to talk about very briefly was that they didn't care what the meeting looked like. They didn't care if it was orderly or crazy. They didn't care if they were popular or unpopular. They didn't care if preachers liked them or hated them. They didn't care if they were following fads or not. They wanted to see people connected to the presence and power of God. Can you say amen? They knew that God was moving, and they knew the Holy Ghost was stirring things up in their region, and they knew that salvation was not just something taught in the Bible, but that something people could experience today. Jonathan Edwards said that salvation was conversion to Christ. It was the experience of moving from spiritual deadness to joy in the knowledge that you have been chosen by God for salvation. The joy is rooted in the joy, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the joy has been rooted in that you have been chosen by God for salvation. This is what their joy was rooted in, not in did I get into this college or did I get the right mate or did I have the right car or did God bail me out. I know that my eternity has been decided. And so he began to write about it because he's a brilliant guy, and his writings went all over the colonies because the United States hadn't even declared his declaration of independence yet, and so his writings went all over the colonies and and even to England, and as they read his testimonies in England, revivals were breaking out, and so as I talk about what was happening in England, I have to share some of his homies, I'll call the three amigos, We we got Jonathan Edwards over there on the right, and we got John Wesley in the center, which he looks tired, in all his pictures he looks tired, well, they're not pictures, they're drawings, obviously. And we got George Whitfield with a very interesting haircut and a, a lazy eye, right? So you didn't have to be a social media star to get ahead in those days. So <clears throat> these guys, they pretty much shaped what we call revival and how we preach the gospel. Now, I am today just building upon what Travis, the foundation he laid yesterday. I, I kind of want to map out what this salvation by grace through faith, what, what, what the effects it had on what we call our faith. Because you think that, you know, this is just plain Bible truth. Well, somebody actually came up with this plain Bible truth in the last couple hundred years. And it wasn't even widely accepted until recently. And this came from somewhere. We have a history that we can unpack, all right? Amen. Okay, so Jonathan Edwards, again, had a church in, um, in Connecticut, but Whitfield, if you leave their pictures up for a moment, Whitfield and Wesley never had a church. Now, since they went to um, uh, a seminary, uh, they got ordained, but they were revival preachers. And what they did with them was, uh, you know, back then, it's kind of like today with the Catholic church in that uh, when you become a Catholic, you go to the local church that you're assigned to. It's much like a school zone, right? It's a parish they call it, and whatever parish you live in, that's the church you go to. Uh, and so, uh, John Wesley, uh, when he graduated from Bible school in Oxford, they didn't give him a parish. Uh, they made him, they made him a, a pastor, they ordained him, but they didn't give him a parish. So he didn't have, he didn't have a church to preach in. And uh, and here's kind of how this goes. Uh, Wesley and Whitfield both never had one. Uh, The Wesley brothers, it was John and Charles Wesley, uh, they were going to Oxford together, and they had decided that they were going to form a little group, and their little group was going to begin just trying to better themselves. So three or four nights a week, they would get together at Oxford, and they would read books. They would study the classics, uh, and they would talk about the classics. And on Sundays, they would... Uh, they would study a book of theology. And, uh, and then they began to pray together a little bit more, and they began to hold one another accountable for living a better life. Now, this group was so separate from the rest of the students, they, were, they came to be known the Holy Club. They didn't call themselves the Holy Club. Other people called them the Holy Club. A, a lot of pastors these days like to name their own ministry. Just let somebody else do that, uh, whether it be, you know, a master apostolic prophet, or whatever, whatever they want to call themselves, let other people call you that. Just teach the word of God. And so, since the uh, since um, they were called the Holy Club, when when Wesley graduated and he went to minister, he uh, he left, and um, uh, Whitfield was still there. Y'all, y'all follow me. Am I telling this okay? Okay. So Whitfield was still there in Oxford. Wesley went over to the United States to try to minister in Georgia, in the state of. Georgia, which was in a colony. Now, Wesley was on the boat, and I've told the story to you before, and a very bad storm came. And there were the Moravians were on the boat, and the Moravians would take care of the passengers who didn't have a high enough class to get like, food and be taken care of, so they had to bring their own food. And nobody would talk to these people who were the lowest class on the boat except the Moravians. The Moravians would serve them, they would bless them, they would pray for them, and, and a really bad storm came. And uh, John Wesley was terrified he was going to die. And the Moravians weren't phased. They, weren't they were sitting together. They were singing. And John Wesley uh, said to them, are you not scared you're going to die? And the guy said to him, are you not assured that you're going to heaven when you die? Now, this is Wesley who graduated, was ordained, and going to be a missionary. And so he gets to America, and uh, he, he, things didn't go well. Uh, he went there to convert the, the natives. The natives didn't want anything to do with him. Uh, He tried to minister to the locals. The locals didn't receive his word. He went back to England and he's like, I got to get to a Moravian church and see what's going on with these people. So he goes to Moravian church and he's like, You know, I I went to America to convert the Indians. And this is a quote from him But oh, who shall convert me? Who, Who, what is he that will deliver me from this evil heart of mischief? I have a fair weather religion. And so he's talking to his friend and he's like, listen, I don't have faith. I know I don't have faith. I don't have saving faith in my heart. I know this. I do not know that I'm going to heaven. Should I stop preaching? Should I just, and you may be asking this, when I'm in seasons of doubt, should I still be talking about Jesus when I'm stumbling with sin? Should I just stop? Am I bearing a false witness against God? And this is what his friend said. I have a slide here. He says, this is what his friend told him, preach till you have faith and then because you have it, you will preach faith. <laughs> preach till you have faith, and because you have it, you will preach it. If something's true, it's true. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It, it is what it is. He's life. He's good. And just because you may not experiencing his goodness right now, either because of your mistake or season of trial, doesn't change who he is in that you should tell people about him. Are you with me? So he went to a Moravian service after preaching several months on faith. And they were talking about uh, Romans uh, chapter 8. And here's a famous quote from it. It says, at a quarter before 9, while the man was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Anybody felt that feeling before? I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. So he got converted. John Wesley got converted here uh, off this word of faith that Luther Luther talked about. And uh, he began preaching no longer just preaching to preach. He's preaching revival. He's believing that as he preaches, wow, the Spirit of God could come in the room and could touch Hearts and lives. Now, George Whitfield was a classmate with Charles and John Wesley at Oxford. He was part of the Holy Club. He took it over after John Wesley left. And George Whitfield, if you put that old picture up one more time, I'm sorry, George Whitfield, the, the gentleman with the interesting hair, uh, he came to America and he was probably the most famous revivalist in American history uh, of that entire season. And they came. And George Whitfield started preaching, and they started what came to be known the Great Awakening. He preached up and down the East Coast. He was considered the most traveled man in the United States. He began holding revival services, and he, and he met Jonathan Edwards in America. They had a little debate about uh, theology, but that's irrelevant. Um, and and, and, and Whitfield is known for allowing slaves into his meetings. Now, he wouldn't let them intermingle, but he would preach to them. He believed that they could get saved as well. And because Whitfield began preaching to slaves, it's the beginning of African-American Christianity. Before that, slave owners didn't preach them. They didn't think they were human enough to be converted. And so he went back uh, to England, and he came back in 1740. Now, 1740 to 1742 is the height of the Great Awakening. And he preached a series of revivals, and the Great Awakening started. And in 1740, he, he preached every day for months to crowds of sometimes thousands of people and traveled all over the colonies. Now, when he was in Philadelphia, he would stay with Benjamin Franklin, and in Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, he talks about George Whitfield, and George Whitfield would have these huge... And, and he said that Ben Franklin never publicly confessed his faith, but Franklin was amazed at how the society of the United States was being changed through this revival that was happening. And so... The house that he owned in Philadelphia, he gave to Benjamin Franklin uh, as part of an inheritance to be used for the public good. And it is now the center and that land is now what is now the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school, which is part of his legacy. But most of you um, may not have heard of George Whitfield, and there's a reason for that. <clears throat> Let me unpack their theology really quickly. They believed That a crisis is when you realize you are living your life without God. Once that realization comes, it creates a crisis in your heart. And they felt if we taught people you're right with God without having that conversion, we've now endorsed a gospel of works instead of teaching people to put faith in Christ. Does that make sense? Just because we get somebody to say something or we get somebody to do something or people go to church doesn't make them a Christian. We say amen? amen. You have to have faith in your heart that you have been saved by Jesus. And again, salvation is a gift from God, but you have to want it. Yeah. You have to actually want it. And this is what these men were teaching. You you couldn't just make somebody Christian. There has to be a desire in their heart. And he called that a crisis. George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, they made people. To get them to this crisis, they made them scared of hell. And this is where that scare people the salvation came from. Jonathan Edwards had a very famous message. You can read it these days. It was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he would talk about God is so angry with wrath at your sin that you're dangling over the fiery pits of hell as if just by a spider's web string. And at any moment, I mean, it was hugely, hugely, passed around and all over the world. And this fear would come upon people and they would put their faith in Christ. It works. I believe there's a better way, but I'm not going to criticize Whitfield. Uh, John. So, so Whitfield and, and Edwards kind of scared people out of hell. But John Wesley had a different approach. John Wesley, he wanted people to long for holiness. And he said, if you will long to live a holy life. God will give you the Holy Spirit. He will seal you for salvation, empower you to live an overcoming life. This this is the kind of long-term fruit we like. So these men all have legacies. If we were to look at Jonathan Edwards, in 1900, don't put that up yet, in 1900, a researcher went through the lineage of the people who came from Jonathan Edwards' family Line. Now, Jonathan Edwards didn't start a denomination. Not a big church movement came after him, even though he saw amazing revivals. And in 1900, watch this. This is, this is what the man discovered in Jonathan Edwards' lineage. You can put that up. Of his children, we're talking 150 years later, there, were th- there was an American vice president, William Burr. You might have seen him on Hamilton. William Burr, right? Three United States senators. Three governors, three mayors, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 military officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 prominent authors, and 80 other public officials through the lineage of one man who gave his heart to revival. Amazing, right? That's his, that's his legacy. Hallelujah. That's one man's legacy. Now, John Wesley, we talked about. What's the, what's, the, what's the legacy of John Wesley? Well, the Methodist Church, if you've heard of the Methodist, he came up with the word, uh, the Method. Um, so, the entire Methodist movement, the entire holiness movement, the sanctified church, uh, if you speak in tongues, you come from his movement, right? Like, the entire spirit filled movement comes out of. The lineage of John Wesley. Now I want you to hear this: John Wesley preached the, the goodness of God. These two other men preached condemnation from hell, right? Like scared of hell, goodness of God. John Wesley has the has the greatest legacy. Jonathan Edwards still had a great legacy, but Whitfield did not have a great legacy that we could see till today. Why is that? Well, my theory is uh, in the 1700s, and this is. Directly for us. We need to learn from this. In the 1700s, slavery was illegal in the state of Georgia. Can you believe that? 1700s, slavery was illegal in the state of Georgia. Uh, Whitfield had started an orphanage in Georgia, and he wanted free labor. And so he began preaching how biblical slavery is. And he got, personally, he got the government in Georgia to legalize slavery. It was already illegal. He got them to change the law to make it legal so he could have free labor at his orphanage. That's a problem, right? I mean, Jonathan Edwards' family owned slaves, and as terrible as that is, a lot of people did back then, right? I'd like to believe that if they were alive today, they wouldn't have, right? I'd like to believe that they'd be under the conviction of God, and nothing like that. Well, clearly they wouldn't own slaves, but... They will be more progressive than that, Um, but we look at we look at Whitfield's legacy, whom many people haven't even heard of him. We look at we look at Edwards' legacy, and he has an incredible family lineage, and yet in his family owned slaves. And we look at Jonathan Edwards, who fought against slavery his whole life, and there's a massive legacy that comes from him, spiritual and natural friend. When you follow the holiness of God, he rewards you and your children's children. That is the promise of God. Can you say amen? amen. There is a there is a yeah, amen. There is a reward to following Jesus now and in the future. As I finish here, I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Paul wrote, "For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourself, it is the gift of God." Say gift. That means only God, only God gets glory when you get saved, right? And our salvation came from him as a gift. We didn't buy it. We didn't earn it. It's a gift. Not of yourselves, it's a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, pause. Your salvation did not come by works. That does not mean he's not looking for works after you get saved. If you're saved, he's expecting works, but not to earn salvation, because you already got that. For we are His workmanship. He wants us to be working, but we are His workmanship. He created us. He saved us. Amen? We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. The confusion that people like uh, Whitfield fell into is that they forgot that this is about God's desires, not my desires. This is about laying down my life for Jesus, not hoping that I get something in this life. Not, I preached, and therefore I should have people do something for me, or I can expect a natural reward from God. That's not why we do this. It absolutely happens, but that's not the point. The point is that we continue to serve God. In the greatest pitfall all these men fell in, is that they were looking for a test of salvation so often. And they started inventing all kind of things. And the real test of salvation is fruit of the Spirit. The real test of salvation is fruit of the Spirit. After you get converted, if you are converted, is there love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? When you start not seeing these things in people, Christ is not there. This is the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit of Christ dwells in a person, You get this. Now, people can do these things without, right? There are nice people out there because we're all created in the image of God and not everybody's given their life over to the devil. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about there's nice people and there's mean Christians. But if we want to know the Holy Spirit is at work, this is what we look for, the fruit of the Spirit. So here's what I would like to do in my remaining three minutes. I'd like to pray for you. And I want to pray specifically for people who feel like, I need this work of the Spirit in my life. I need, I need, number one, maybe I need just convinced, I need convinced that I'm right with God. I need convinced that Jesus has saved me and washed me clean. Number two, I want you to respond if you're like, I have been looking for something other than the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I have been looking for God to come through on certain things. I've been looking for God to manifest in me in wealth or financial security or relationship or classes or popularity or even my mental health. Something other than I need to be focusing outwardly as the Lord has shown me. And third of all, I want um, want to pray for those who want to respond to this world with a supernatural love. I, 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 um, where there is supernatural uh, chaos in the world, the world requires a supernatural love from the church. And there's chaos in the world right now, friend. And the church doesn't need, or the world doesn't need us to become the world and memorize their arguments. The world needs us to be the church where we love beyond our capacity to love. So if you would like me to pray for you, I want you to stand up right now and we're just going to pray. We're going to pray together. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and you're going to pray in the spirit or you're going to say amen. And we're just going to go in for a second here, all right? Yeah. We're going to go in for a second and I'm going to probably raise my voice so I'll be a little muffled. So I'm going I'm I'm to I'm put this up. So I just... For those within spitting distance, normally you just get the anointing. But today, who knows what you'll get. So I'm just going to pray with a mask on. Amen. I've told you before, I'm a prideful man. And I don't want anybody saying I gave him the Rona, right? So, (laughs) hallelujah. Come on, let's pray in the Holy Ghost. Father, in the name of Jesus, mm, Holy Spirit, you spoke to me that long-term issues are falling off today. Father, you spoke to me that deliverance is happening today. You said that people would have enc- wow, encounters with the Holy Spirit that would awaken hearts today. And so right now, Father, we lift our voice to you. We lift our voice to you, Jesus. Come on, this is your moment right now. We lift our voice to you and we say, you didn't stop doing this in the 1700s. You give assurance of salvation. You give assurance that we are yours, Father. You convert people. You, you strangely warm our heart when you give us Holy Spirit and you give us a new capacity to love. I pray in the name of Jesus. Wow. 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 Ha. Ha. Deliverance is happening right now. I just, I I feel this. Maybe you're online. Go ahead and pray with us. Deliverance is happening right now. In the name of Jesus, that your spirit, Father, would be poured out into hearts. That your spirit would be poured out into hearts and you would give a supernatural love, Lord. You would give a supernatural love. Come on, pray in the spirit. Come on. A supernatural love, a supernatural ability to love you, Jesus. To love others. To love people that they hate. A supernatural ability to speak words of grace against people they are not fond of. Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, we're praying for the power of love right now in our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would give me You would give me a supernatural power of love. Love. The evidence of my salvation would be joy instead of bitterness and anger and and fighting and finger pointing, name calling. Oh, Jesus, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Please, Jesus. Jesus, that you would move in our hearts, Father, even those who haven't made the full step to be a christ's follower yet father that you a good god would pour out these gifts in their hearts lord you are a good father and you said whoever lacks wisdom let them ask of you and you'll give it freely father you didn't qualify that so father i pray in the name of jesus you would begin to help people convert their hearts to love and the fruit of the spirit those who are uh, anxious and paranoid that you would give them faith Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. We're praying for people here. We're praying, come on. Give us, give us a heart of love. Wow! A heart of love, Jesus. A heart of love, Jesus. You love this world, Father. And last but not least, I want us to pray that we need a hunger for holiness. We need a hunger for holiness. Father, that we would not speak unholy words, that we would not live unholy lives, that we would desire, we would cry out for righteousness, we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, we would hunger and thirst for your holiness, that we would protect our eyes from what it sees and our mouths from unholy words of accusation and gossip and bitterness, Father, that we 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 would protect our ears from unholy slander, Father, we would protect our hands from touching things that are unholy. We would, we would, we would only desire good things, things that are beneficial to us, Lord. We, that you're, ooh, by your spirit, by your spirit, by your spirit. I see, I see, wow, I see someone getting delivered right now of self-hate. That is unholy. It's unholy. I see it. I see you're this, the critical self-spirit being lifted. That crutch is being taken away from your life that you constantly criticize yourself. You're being delivered. Of that false comfort right now, and I declare the Comforter has come. The co- wow, the, wow, the Comforter has come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, the Comforter has come. And while, while we're standing, while we're standing, it just go ahead and close your eyes. I'm not going to ask anybody to lift their head, but just I just want this between you and God. Put your hand on your heart and just begin to tell Him, you know, the, these these words in your own words, but begin to tell Him, hey, this heart is yours. Do whatever you want with it. Move in my heart in love. Move in my heart in peace. Move in my heart. Help me deal with stuff that I can't deal with. I declare over this heart right here, you are going to treat the people in my life well. You're going to love well. I declare over my heart, you're going to love well. You're going to love and not hate. You're going to be an encourager. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Give a clap for the Lord if you would. <clears throat> Hallelujah. We love you. Uh, go ahead and text uh, uh, go RLC to ninety seven thousand. If you respond to that, you want someone to pray with you. Thank you for your attention.
0: Uh, sorry. <laughs> Can we give it up for the word this morning? I, uh, I don't make any apologies for encountering Jesus on the floor, but I, uh, I am sorry if I, I'm a little disoriented. Um, yeah. But hey, that was an amazing word this morning. And I don't know about you guys, but I am, I'm feeling super encouraged to go share the cross, to go share the love of God, to go share the grace of God this morning. Amen. And I just, I, uh, I feel such a, a fresh hunger for holiness. Yes. I feel such a fresh hunger this morning for righteousness. How about you? Yeah. Amen. Hey, let's give it up for Jesus this morning. Love you guys. God bless you guys. Really quick. You can text uh, RLCGO to 97000. Sorry, go RLC to 97,000 if you need prayer, specific prayer for anything, or if you'd like to join a serving team. Thank you guys again. We'll see you next week. Give it up for Jesus one more time. God bless you guys.